The scripture reading today is from Luke 12, 13 through 21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Thank you, Tara. You might want to keep that scripture open as we review it, and there's also an outline if you care to follow that in the bulletin. But let's pause and just have a time of quiet, silent prayer as we begin to reflect on God's Word. Amen. If you have the opportunity to have a sit-down, face-to-face conversation with Jesus himself, and you could ask him one question, what would it be? Would it be a question about your future? Or something that you want to talk to him about your past? Maybe there's a specific request or a big question a theological question maybe about suffering and evil in the world from our story in Luke this morning we see a man who literally has this opportunity an opportunity to ask Jesus a question and what he wants from the Son of God from the Messiah of the world is to have Jesus tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. The man's request reveals the priority of his heart. He wants Jesus to help him get more money. Now Jesus, he admonishes him. He said, I didn't come here to be an arbitrator or a financial advisor. And then he gives yet another warning to his disciples and the people who are gathered there. And this time, it's about greed. Money and possessions are a major, major theme throughout Scripture. And the reason for that is because money and materialism often becomes direct competition for our faith and our faithfulness to God. 15% of what Jesus teaches has some correlation 
or mention of money and possessions. <clears throat> and the context, we could talk about these teachings when we talk about money, falls into four categories in the Bible. There are what we might call the righteous rich, meaning those who obtain their wealth in a righteous, ethical way. They work hard, they invest smart, they tithe, they give to the poor, they take care of their family, they pay their bills. Then there would be the unrighteous rich. They get their money in a dishonest way, in a way that dishonors God. They hoard their money. They spend it foolishly. They do not give back to God or to others. They're very selfish. Then there are people who are righteous and poor. These are the folks who work hard. They earn their money. They do it honestly. But they don't have very much. They steward their resources in a righteous way. They give back as much as they can to God and to others. They pay their bills. They take care of their families. But because of their circumstances, because of limitations, they don't have very much. And then there are the unrighteous and poor. These are folks who, well, are lazy, who do not work hard or smart, who do not invest or save, and are foolish with how they handle their resources. But what Jesus does here in this story, he talks about a temptation that we all have, whether you're wealthy or middle class or impoverished or working poor. All of us have the same temptation, Jesus says. That is the temptation to covet and to have greed. And he begins with a warning about this greed and coveting. Watch out. Be on your guard. Be on your toes against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Underline, watch out. Be on guard. Now notice here he's talking to his disciples. And his disciples are people of modest means. These are not wealthy men. And yet he's warning them about covetousness. Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. It's a powerful desire for things of this world. It's a very subtle sin. It's very difficult to detect covetousness in ourselves. We're, we're very clever with how we rationalize it and work around it. It's a very dangerous sin because it tempts us to hypocrisy and that connects us with what Jesus was teaching before. You know, we present ourselves to others <clears throat> as being righteous and, and we, we have our minds set on things above with Christ, but when we're in coveting, state of mind, our desires are really set on things that are below. And when our hearts are set on what we don't have and what we want, it breeds this temptation and it takes away joy, takes away contentment. 
And friends, it is a root sin. Covetousness is one of those sins that leads to other sins. If I want something so badly, I'll do anything to get it. I'll, I'll rebel against authority. I'll lie. I'll cheat. I'll commit adultery. I'll even kill. You know, we read the Ten Commandments earlier. Have you ever considered that the Ten Commandments begin and end with basically and virtually the same commandment? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second, or I mean the tenth, you shall not covet. These are almost equivalent commands because ultimately coveting leads to idolatry. Colossians 3.5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly or nature, your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. To covet is to worship something other than your maker. When we worship money, when we make it an idol, we give it first place in our lives. We worship possessions or status and power and pleasure or success. We give them higher priority than the Lord. We violated the first commandment and the last commandment. Now, our goal this morning is not for us to all feel guilty for a little while and then just go back to what we've been doing. Rather, we want to take a look at our hearts and look at the desires of our hearts and discern where are those those temptations that we have with money and possessions. This Sunday, we're going to do a diagnosis. And next Sunday when we come to Luke 12, 22 through 34, we see Jesus gives us a solution to coveting. So today we get the warning. Jesus says a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now how do we know if money and possessions are, are what we're trying to find the source of life with? I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you define yourself by how much money you have and how much money you make? Do you define yourself by your salary or your savings account? Do you determine your self-worth by your net worth? Do you have a need to have a lot of stuff and a lot of nice stuff and you want other people to see it? Are your thoughts preoccupied with money and possessions or whatever you're coveting? How much time and effort and preoccupation do you have with getting possessions and making as much money as you can that takes away time from other priorities? How much do you talk about money? Look at, look at your conversation. How content are you or discontent with what you have in life? Our level of commitment or discontentment tells us a lot about our priorities. Here's another one. 
Are you able to rejoice in the prosperity of others? Or do you resent it? Do you envy it? And then how generous are you with what you do have? These are hard questions. They're hard questions for me. And they, how they're answered can reveal to us how much do we define our lives by money and material things. Now to continue to make his point that life does not consist in possessions, Jesus gives an illustration. He gives a parable, shares a parable of the foolish rich man. And what Jesus illustrates in the parable is that you do not find joy and satisfaction from the abundance of things because they're temporary. It's futile. This rich man has produced a good crop. And he asks himself, notice he asks himself, he doesn't ask the Lord, he asks himself, what do I do with it? That's his first mistake. His choice is to build bigger barns, store his grain and goods, and take life easy. Now the foolishness and sin of this man is not being wealthy. It's not being successful. His foolishness is how he answers his own question. And how he answers it is selfishly. I have plenty of things laid up for many years. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. It's all about him. He does not worship God with his wealth. He worships his wealth. And Jesus says, you fool. This is a huge mistake. His having more than he needs becomes a snare to him. The Apostle Paul's commentary on this is 1 Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, it's interesting that the size of the average home in America over the past 50 years has doubled. In 1950, the average home was 1,000 square feet. In 1970, that increased to 1,500 square feet. And by the year 2000, the average home was 2,200 square feet. And at the same time, family sizes went down 20%. So we had fewer children, but double the size of our homes. Bigger barns. Now, it's not a sin to have a bigger house. It's not a sin to have a nice stuff, a nice home. But are we good stewards with our resources? Do we ask ourselves what to do with these things or do we ask the Lord what to do with these things? Do we recognize what we have as coming from Him? The issue here is one of motive. Why do I need all this stuff? And how am I using all of this stuff for God's call? 
There was a woman named Huguenette Clark, and, and she inherited a fortune from her father, William A. Clark, 1920s, 1930s. I'd never heard of these people. I guess he was a, a big miner, mining um, minerals and so on. And all of this she received. All, all of them. And she bought mansions and estates. She brought an estate on the coast of California that cost $100 million. And think of that in the last century, what that was worth. For 60 years, she never went there. She bought a beautiful estate in Connecticut. She never went there. Never darkened the door. She owned a 42-room apartment overlooking Central Park in New York City. For 25 years, she never went there. There were servants hired to keep it up, and they never saw her. They never met her. 2011, she died. She's over 100 years old. And she had $300 million that she left. The Today Show did a special on Mrs. Clark, and at the end of the program, went through all of this. One of the women hosting the show said, this just makes me so sad. Well, what's sad is also that Jesus, in verse 20, says we're held accountable for what we have in life. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It's foolish to hoard because it's, all of it is temporary. You know that. You know it's transient. And it does you no good when you're dead. God is going to ask each of us, what did we do with what he gave us? Whether it's abundance or whether it's poverty. Because it's not about being wealthy or poor. It's about the choices we make with what we have. And then Jesus ends here with an admonition in verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. In other words, true riches, eternal riches, is being rich toward God. And the question is, is our money and our possessions our money? Or is it from God, from the hand of the Lord? And do we see it as a gift? We have the choice, friends, whether we will worship money or worship with money. There are four ways that we can be rich toward God that I'm just going to touch on today with our material wealth, the things that God entrusts us with. One is to be grateful, to be thankful. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. The mega idea in the Bible is that our money is on loan to us. It's on loan to us. It, it, it belongs to someone else. Now we may say, well, I worked for my money. 
I was wise in how I got my money. But we have to come back to who gave us the opportunity. Who gave us the success? Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So when I'm thankful for my resources, I'm acknowledging it comes from you, Lord. I thank you for it. Being content with what we have is another way that we are rich toward God. 1 Timothy 6 6 and 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Contentment is about trust. It's about trusting God with what we have. God designed us for faith. And he's looking for us to trust him. Contentment is about trusting God with what we have. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. And we live in a world that makes it hard because we are bombarded every day with lies that say, you need this and you need that. And if you don't, you're not complete. You're not a a full person or you don't measure up to other people. But it is faith and trust in what God promises that make us rich toward Him. Being generous with our money is being rich toward God. Think of it this way. God is a giver. God gives all the time. He created us. He sustains us. He gives us His one and only Son that we may not perish but have eternal life. And when we are giving and when we share, we are like Him. That's one of the ways we become like Christ. Here's how Paul put it in 1 Timothy 6. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. When we are generous and we give, Friends, it says here we're investing in eternity. And finally, to be rich towards God is to be godly with our money. By that, we mean to tithe. To tithe the percent of our income to the Lord. Tithing is a deliberate act of faith. It's a deliberate act of obedience. Scripture teaches in the Old Testament to give a tenth of your income. The New Testament doesn't give any percentage. But we're to give it to the kingdom work through the church. Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be. God doesn't need our money. But He wants what our money represents our hearts. For where our money goes, so goes our hearts. This is the kind of wealth we want to have. We want to be rich toward God, to value who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ, to value the lavish grace of God more than stuff. 
Whatever our financial condition in life, we are called to be godly and wise stewards, to manage what we have, to worship God with our resources and not worship our resources. Friends, all of us are in debt to God. We literally have hell to pay. But when we come to faith in Jesus, we become rich toward God. We cannot pay the debt ourselves. Our debt is paid by Jesus, and all of God's righteousness is credited to us, making us righteous toward our Savior and God. It is this richness, friends, that we want to care about and invest in more than anything else. And at the same time we do that, when we value our spiritual riches, that will empower us to overcome the temptation of covetousness and greed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we don't want our souls to shrivel up clinging to things that moth and rust will corrupt and that robbers can come in and steal. So help us to become a people so in love with you, so captivated by Christ, so thankful for the grace of the gospel that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that we ourselves would become generous, that we would enjoy whatever you have given us and that we would not be owned by it, but we would enjoy whatever you've given and, and not value it above you, and that we ourselves would be generous people because you are so generous, that we would be giving people because, God, you are so giving. Lord, you know we're caught up in a culture that loves stuff, and we're, we're not unaffected by it. We want our neighbors to see that we're different, that we care about you more than we care about things, that we care about your kingdom and gospel spreading to the ends of the earth more than we do about how much we have in our accounts. Lord, help us be good stewards who recognize that nothing we have comes from us but only from your hand and that it all belongs to you and that we would use it to send a message to the world about your grace and about Jesus in the gospel. Help us to be that countercultural. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.